Wednesday, January 20th. I'm Todd Brinker. This is Back from the Brink. Thank you for joining us. Erin will be with us in a moment. She is wrapping up the radio show, uh, but uh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm clear. Please hand me my beer. So in the uh, NFL, there are uh, some, some kind of groundbreaking people out there doing things, and one of them is Sarah Thomas. She will become this year the first woman to referee a Super Bowl. Um, and lest you think that she is getting some sort of special treatment so that they can tout the fact that they have a woman refereeing the Super Bowl. She uh, refereed in college for many years. She was at the top of her game in 2015. She was hired to start refereeing in the NFL. Uh, you can pick her out of the uh, people in stripes out there because she's got the ponytail. And, uh, and anyway, congratulations to Sarah, um, on, on this, uh, on getting named to the squad that will, will, uh, officiate the Super Bowl. Um, you know, um, I, I have seen her, uh, out officiating in games. I've watched games, um, on television and, I, and I've seen her there and, uh, you know, she, you know, the, I guess the highest praise I can, I can give her is, is that, you know, other than the fact that you spot the ponytail, you wouldn't know uh, anything. She, she does, she, she makes good calls. The, the games go on. Um, and I know that the referees, uh, review games and they have like a, a panel that reviews games and scores each of the referees and, and you know those that get the highest scores uh, in terms of making more correct calls after they've been reviewed are the ones that get um, you know the opportunity to, to referee in playoffs and in and obviously in the Super Bowls the biggest uh, deal and like players they get extra money for um, for being selected as a playoff official or a Super Bowl official and so you know she'll get some uh, some bonuses because of this as well as um, you know, stepping out and doing a great job. And so congratulations to her. And, uh, you know, it's about time. It's not like uh, it, it takes any, um, you know, physical capabilities that, that a woman wouldn't have to be able to officiate a football game. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, there's no reason for a, a woman not to be doing the job if she's good at it. And, uh, and by all accounts, Sarah Thomas is excellent at her job. And she'll be one of the uh, seven crew members out there officiating on February 7th for the Super Bowl. Um, I don't know if she's going to be at one of the two games this weekend, but probably um, usually that the, the crew that does the Super Bowl is picked from the two crews that do the AFC and NFC championship. And I think it's a combined crew usually. So they, they pick, uh, uh, you know, of the seven, they'll pick like a, a referee, a line judge and all this, you know, they'll pick some from one and some from the other division. And uh, and then they'll go forward. But I think it's all done through the um, the referees organization. They have their own uh, uh, group. Like I said, that's the group that reviews their um, uh, the quality of their calls and and ranks them so that they can then decide who's officially going to be there. And it's just a a group within the NFL's structure um, to do that. So anyway, very cool, excellent, good for her. Um, you know, it's like the uh, young woman who was the first person to uh, to play in and then score in and a, a uh, 
Division One and a NCAA football game this year too. Um, uh, she was, uh, and I, I don't remember all the details. I don't remember her name, but I know that she was the varsity women's soccer goalie, and they had because of COVID injury didn't have a kicker, and so uh, uh, they gave her a call and said, "Hey, you want to do this? We need somebody who can kick." And she says, "I can kick," and she went out there and she did it, and. Uh, and it was funny too because she's like six foot two, I think. She's she's very tall, very you know she's a large person, and a lot of the kickers, a lot of the guy kickers out there are these guys that are like five eight, five nine. You know, they're not particularly they're the smallest guy on the field often. They're not particularly the big gentleman, um, and so uh, certainly if they can go out there and play football and take a hit, she can. And uh, you know, and she uh, she kicked an extra point. I think she ended up kicking a field goal as well. And, uh, you know, again, kudos to her. You know, if you can do the job, you should have the opportunity to compete for the job. And uh, who knows, maybe one point we'll see her um, becoming a uh, kicker in the NFL. You know, um, I suspect that if she's able to get that gig, it probably pays better than um, uh, than some of the soccer uh, jobs, not because soccer's not i mean i guess if you play at the international level and i don't know what but it seems like they traditionally pay women a substantially less amount which is you know just uh ridiculous on the face of it i I understand though that if you look at the number of people who come to games and the number of paying uh viewers and sponsors that you have that determines how much you know what pool of money you have to pay your players and if more are coming and paying to see men's games than women's games, then it's difficult to say we'll pay them exactly the same. Um, But, you know, there's an issue with that in the United States where we've had uh, more people watching and coming to women's soccer games than men's for a while. Uh, You know, our men's team has been less competitive than our women's team in the last few years. And so, you know, the women are saying, hey, okay, I get it if you say that they're getting less, uh, less people watching, less sponsorships, but we're getting more people watching and more sponsorships and yet there's still more money going to the men that's wrong and i couldn't agree more that's wrong you know it's it's uh um you know i think you know and you could set up something and say well if the men make x amount and the women makes x amount whoever makes the the most should give up to you know 20 percent into a pool that helps increase the pay of the others so that there's some sort of equalization or something and you know the uh u.s soccer program could come up with some kind of a calculation that works that way um, so that if the men are making more, they help pay the women's salaries, and if the women are making more, then they uh, they can pay help pay the men's salaries. And I say making more, bringing more in in sponsorship, bringing more in in commercial fees, bringing more in at the gate, people wanting to watch that kind of thing, um, you know, network fees that are paid to broadcast that kind of stuff. Um, so if you're getting more income that way, then you have more to pay your players. And uh, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's. You lose every bit of your argument when the women are already bringing in more money and they're still getting paid less. There's just there's no earth to stand on when you when you get to that point. So, um, anywho, we shall move on. You know, we were talking um, to uh, uh, Michelle Markell about through hiking on the radio show today. And I, I wondered as it went on, and I didn't really uh, participate in that conversation too much, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I was wondering, you know, how many people actually understand what through hiking is? This is like long distance hiking through hikers. I mean, you can look it up, you can Google it, but uh, Wikipedia has a page on through hiking. Uh, but generally, it's people doing uh, multiple day hikes 
in the same direction in a contigu- contiguous walk. In other words, you start at the top of the Appalachian Trail and you hike all the way down to the bottom of the Appalachian Trail or from the bottom up, however you want to do it or whatever, you know. Um, but you, you, and you hike the distance in one shot and it may take you multiple months to do that, but you camp and hike and camp and hike and, and that's how you, and you do the entire length of it. And there's people who do section hikes where they'll hike a section of it, or they will break it up and do the hike, you know, a section, uh, each year, you know, they'll come and hike for, you know, a week or two weeks or a month or something, get a chunk done and then come back to that spot where they left off and then continue on from there so that they can finish the hike over a period of years. That's not through hiking, that's section hiking. And, uh, and it's a little bit different. Um, but, um, you know, the picking a, a beginning and an end and walking in a, in one direction from beginning to end without, without taking a break from what you're doing other than camping and packing up and hiking again the next day is, is through hiking. And it's usually a long endeavor and it's done usually over the spring and summer. Um, there are seasons, excuse me, there are seasons to it because, um, very often some of these long hikes like the Appalachian trail and the Pacific coast trail, um, you know, are shut down in the winter. There's sections of it that it's, uh, because of altitude and location uh, are snowed in and you just can't hike it. And so, um, you know, you have to time it and do a lot of planning. Um, I thought it was interesting. I did just a brief read on the Wikipedia page. And uh, the uh, a lot of these guys are doing what they call ultralight, ultralight hiking, um, meaning that when you start off on these things, you know, if you start out with a 60-pound pack, you're not going to go very far because 60 pounds is a lot to haul around on your back. Um and people who wear, carry heavier backs or heavier packs tend to to bail out fairly quickly, um, but that the average through hiker is carrying like less than twenty pounds, and so they've got these super super light packs, super light uh, um, you know camping gear, um, uh, tents and and sleeping bags that weigh almost nothing, and uh, you know they're literally measuring what they're going to carry by the ounce, and probably the heaviest thing that they're carrying is water. Um, and if they know that there's water along the way for that section, then they won't carry water. But if they, if they hit sections where they know there's not going to be water, then they've got to carry water. Now, the positive thing is, is the water gets lighter as you go because you're drinking it. But, uh, um, you know, there are sections where there's no available water and you can't refill. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, like, um, uh, I just did a search for through hiking gear. And there's a headline that says eight and a half pound ultralight backpacking gear list for through hiking. And it includes a tent, a ground cover, a pack, a pack liner, a sleeping bag, a sleeping uh, pad, a pillow, you know, and this is all for eight and a half pounds. In fact, 8.51. And they care about that point, that, that, that 01 point. Here's Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi. I was talking about through hiking and, you know, we didn't really explain on the radio what that was to a lot of people. And I'm not sure that everybody knows what through hiking is, but, um, uh, the thing that uh, struck me is if you do a little researching in this, you start learning about the, the science of really, really, really light backpacking. I mean, every ounce, every hundredth of an ounce is, is measured, uh, very, very carefully to make sure that they're not carrying anything they don't have to, because it adds up quick. Um, and, uh, I found a list for ultralight backpacking gear and it's an eight and a half pound base weight. And this includes a sleeping bag, a pillow, a pad, a tent, uh, a pack, 
as well as toothbrush, toothpaste, water bottle, uh, stuff bag, camp camp stove, little little uh, 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 gas propane stove, um, uh, you know, a little medicine bottle for any meds that you need, uh, a phone and and earpods. Um, uh, you know, it's just it's it's stunning. You know, they've got like a titanium. Uh, spork that they eat with because it's super super light <laughs> you know it's like holy moly eight and a half pounds and all that stuff's in there and if you add it up it's probably like two thousand dollars worth of stuff because you pay a lot to get super light stuff like that but it's worth it you yeah know, if you're michelle, out if you're out walking every day <laughs> yeah michelle has done the appalachian trail and the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, she started to do the Continental Divide Trail in a year when the snow had been, just a few years ago, when the snow had been like the highest it had been in decades. And mm-hmm. she was not able to complete it because you can't, when there's not much snow, it's, it's just too dangerous. Um, you know, she could go sliding off a mountain and, and that's not, you know, while she's out in the backcountry, so that's not okay. Um, and mm-hmm. so she's done most of the, she's done a good chunk of the continental divide. She's done the Appalachian and she's done the Pacific crest. Um, and then she's done all kinds of other trails, the Pinote trail in the Southeast. She's done the Arizona trail. She's done, I mean, more trails than I can count. So yeah. she, she's, she she's walked thousands everywhere. of miles. Yeah. Thousands, thousands, thousands. Yeah. 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 And so, you know what? Yeah. You've never, you've never seen an, uh, an overweight, um, uh, through hiker. No. <laughs> but, for two reasons. One is they're exercising an incredible amount every day. And, and the other one is they don't carry that much food because it's too heavy. <laughs> Everything yeah. is weighed. Man, they say, this is how much food I need. This is how much food I carry. No more. Uh, you know, they avoid carrying. I mean, like the heaviest thing they carry usually is water. Um, and they only carry water if they know there's not going to be a place for them to get water and or refill as they go. Um, you know, because it's heavy. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's. It's amazing, you know. I mean, you look at some of their lists, and and you know, magnesium frames, and and uh, uh, super lightweight this, and and you know, ultra lightweight that, and it's just, I mean, and they're literally measuring things in fractions of an ounce, you know, and and they'll make a decision over like a pocket knife based on this one weighs a half ounce less than that one, so you know, because it all adds up, and when you're carrying it on your back for for a couple thousand miles, um, yeah, you don't want uh, you don't want any of that extra weight if you don't have to have it. So no, uh, you know, and it's and I have such admiration for people who do that. I wish that I were in the physical condition, and I'm trying to get there. But the physical condition to be able to do that, it just takes a level of dedication that I have not, I have not had <laughs> a level of focus on physical fitness that I have not. Um, I have not made a priority. And I say made a priority because I work 60 hours a week. Well, I was going to say, so, it takes a lot of dedication of time, too. And and if you don't have the time to dedicate to it, then you really can't do that, you know? I mean, hiking, yes. like we talked about the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Coast Trail, these are months-long endeavors. They don't, you know, with, with another, you know, chunk of months planning and getting it all lined up and ready to go. Um, these things yes, don't, you know, it takes- it's not something... You don't decide on Friday, hey, let's go out and go hike and, and make that no. happen. I think it takes four months to through-hike the Pacific Crest Trail. I am not sure about the um, Appalachian Trail. Yeah, it's, um, or it's the five, five and a half to trail. six. 
on the Appalachian. Yeah. I was just reading about it. Five and a half to six for that one. Um, but and it's all timing. I mean, if you start, you know, you start at the wrong time, or you get unlucky and hit a a, a spot of bad weather where you can't go on, um, you know, you're stuck. You you can't go on. I mean, you literally can't hike through you know twenty inches of snow. And especially a lot of this is done very um, much. I mean, some people do it in groups, but for the most part, these people, a lot of them are lone hikers. And so, you know, uh, you're marching along out in the wilderness. There there might not be anybody around, um, you know, and if you get snowed in, you're kind of stuck there. And one of the things about super light is also not necessarily super warm, you know, because it's uh, I mean, some of the stuff is is surprisingly warm, but it's, you know, you're you're out in the Thule's. Um, and you're carrying everything on your back, so super light is more important. So yes, that's where your gear becomes absolutely critical. Yeah, absolutely yeah. critical. Yeah, I look at this breakdown of this. You know, they have like a, a photograph of what goes into this eight and a half pound pack, and it's like they've got all kinds of stuff covered, but it's just you know very basic, very basic. There's not not, not a lot of extra luxury here. Uh, you know. I mean, and and uh, when you look at the the ground pad and the tent and the, I mean, it's like this is all stuff that that is super super lightweight, um, you know. And in fact, this tent's more of a mosquito net than a than a full tent. I don't know if there's a rain fly that goes with it or something, but uh, um, you know, it's it, 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 there's it it's not designed for comfort. It's designed to meet minimal needs so that you can pack it all up and get back on the on the trail the next day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, but you're living in the great Michelle outdoors has, when you're doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you have a restless spirit and a lot of the people who do this, you know, it's like the, you know, Tobin was went met these guys who are running across America. They're doing a ma- marathon a day and running across the U.S. These guys can only be described to me as restless. They have mm-hmm. to be moving at all times. And, um, you know, through hikers are a lot the same. They want to be out. They want to be away from people. And they want to be, you know, where they can think and where they can, you know, just just have some solitude. And they want they want to move. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, I just have an admiration. I also had a friend who used to do lots of ultra marathons. She did, um, uh, you know, hundred miles. She did the Chimera, which is a hundred miles, which is to me, oh my gosh, that's insane. Tobin's done a couple yeah. of, you know, not a hundred miles, but he's done fifty miles and seventy-five mm-hmm. miles. Um, I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ultra marathoners are crazy. You know, uh, when I was uh, in high school, a friend of mine's dad did ultra marathons and he would, he did a hundred mile race. And I remember we lived in Grand Terrace at the time and we were going to a swim meet on a Saturday in Hemet. And he got up before the sun and started jogging. And before the meet was over, he showed up on deck. He had run from Grand Terrace to Hemet, <laughs> you know, and you're like, huh? Really? Why? Wow. There's this thing called a car. Um, been around a while. <laughs> Ironically, the man collected classic cars as well. So, um, yeah, you know, go figure. Uh, got all these lovely cars and they, you decide to, to run it. Of a feeling of being powerful in your own skin if you do that kind of thing. You know, yeah. like I can tackle anything. Because the mental, the mental war that you're fighting while, you're, while your body is screaming it's tired but you're continuing to put miles on, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I, I, you could, I, I suppose you could, you feel like you could, you could conquer anything. Nothing scares you. Sorry, I thought I lost you for a second. 
Yeah, no, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> you know. So, you know, just friend... just for Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say I have a friend who his father passed away and his mother had passed away years before and it, it's just when he was in his 20s and it was just really hard for him. And so he and a very dear friend, he needed to go go do something crazy to clear his mind and head. And so they um, went up to Dead Horse, Alaska, and they rode their mountain bikes from Dead Horse, Alaska to Anchorage, which is about 500 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, have incredible pictures and a story to tell. And, you know, so people do crazy things. Yeah. Well, and, and we don't talk about it that much, but there's also lots of encounters with wildlife. And although most of them are, hey, look at the cool deer over there or see the elk or whatever, you know, people also get gored by elk and attacked by bears. So, you know, you're out in the tulies, you got to be careful. You know, you're yes. in, you're in the wild, you're in their space. So yes. um, I was just looking at like this, uh, this list, this gear list that's eight and a half pounds, the, um, the sleeping bag, the, uh, it's the feathered friends flicker is $459 and, you know, weighs ounces. Um, a, uh, a murmur 36 hyperlight backpack, $159, which is not outrageous for a backpack. I, I've seen people pay that much for day bags that they carry around. Um, uh, but you know, super, super light again, just ounces and ounces. I mean, everything's measured in ounces. It's pretty amazing. Uh, you know how they, uh, so let me out. ask you this Todd: If money and time were no object, like you could do whatever you wanted, mm-hmm. would, what, what crazy thing has been in the back of your mind that you want to do? Yeah, I would do more things like, um, you know, not that long ago, we did a, a, a trip up to the um, uh, Coastal Redwoods National Park. Um, uh, I I would do that. I mean, I, I wouldn't do, um, uh, I don't know that I would do through hiking, but I would do, more, I would spend more time outdoors in national parks. I would like to go to more national parks, and I love taking pictures. You know, uh, photography is a thing of mine. And, uh, and I would spend time doing that, you know, that's what I would do. I've got some ideas for some different series of, of photos that I would like to try to create. Um, but that requires getting out and doing it. And, uh, um, so that's what I would do. Yeah, I definitely would want to travel. I honestly think, um, so me, I want to write and, you know, I don't, I want to write a book and I started it and, and, you know, I just haven't. You know, I've, st- I've restarted it and started it many, many times as my thoughts and, and things have changed, which is okay. This is part of the process, right? Because I, I didn't do a lot of creative writing when I was in, in undergrad. And, and so this is just, it's been part of my process. There is a book in me. It will come out eventually. I don't know that anybody will read it. And it, I don't know that I care. But um, I, I want to meet more people because, you know, I feel like I could write better if I met more people just because I like to meet people, you know, so traveling mm-hmm. around the world and staying in, not in tourist traps, but in places where the locals live. And that sounds mm-hmm. interesting to me. Yeah. We talked about that the other day about like going somewhere and maybe staying for a little while just and, and living with the locals as a local, although you won't, you know, you're the, the weird American who showed up, but, um, but you know what I mean? You get to know the people and you get to understand them and their, their space much better and different than uh than if you you know you pop in and out and you stay at the the schmancy hotels and you know see the eiffel tower and and walk along the left bank and then go on your merry way to somewhere else you don't really get a feel for what it's like to live in paris or or you know certainly other places in france so 
um, you know, and, and I'm just using that as an example, but, you know, we've talked about Scotland. I would love to go to Scotland and I would love to visit some of the different uh, distilleries that make scotch that have been doing it for over, you know, 200 years. Um, and just see those places, you know, there's places in Europe where, where there's buildings. I mean, you know, this, you lived there for a while, you know, there's buildings that are hundreds of years old that people are still living in, you know, that they still, you know, are still have, you know, perfectly used items, you know, and, uh, are used facilities. And I think that's very cool. Um, things that we just don't have here, you know, the oldest stuff here is, is a couple hundred years old for the most part as a country. And some, some things go back to before our revolution, but they're, you know, uh, East coast, not here. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would like to go to, um, Bulgaria, Romania, Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, and then head up towards, um, Latvia, Estonia and, and Lithuania and, and see those, pla- I'd like to go to Finland, um, a place that's so different, uh, the language that's so, so it's a unique language. It's not really related to anything. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in doing that. So, I don't know. I think I just would get lost. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. get lost. Yeah. So, yeah, well, by all accounts, if you win the lotto and go do that, that's probably one of the best things to do is to get lost because apparently uh, people who win the lotto complain about, you know, people they've never heard of claiming to be relatives and, and everybody and their mother's brother saying, hey, give me some of your money uh, for what, you know, various reasons legitimate and illegitimate and uh you know and you have to become a, a you know suddenly your life when you become wealthy your life is all about managing money because if it isn't then you won't have it very long um and so uh you know i think a lot of people when they think about becoming wealthy and winning the lotto they don't realize that what that means is is you become a money manager whether that was what your career goal was or not you know and even if you hire somebody you trust very often that's turned bad for people because the people you thought you could trust to do that turn out to not be very trustworthy. So, um, you know, best way to do it is do it on your own. Exactly. So are you going to watch the inauguration? Yeah, I probably will. You know, um, you know, if it, I mean, uh, what do you know what time it's supposed to actually start on Pacific coast? Uh, so it starts at, um, uh, at noon, um, East Coast, so it'll be nine a.m. Nine a.m. Yeah, so it's about an hour and a half away. Sure, you know, I got I got nothing better to do. I'll watch that and just just see. Uh, you know, I'll listen to his his inaugural speech. I mean, I've listened to the inaugural speeches of each president that's been elected since I've been voting, and I'm trying to think back if I listened to any before that. I may have. Um, you know, it's just it's interesting to hear what they're saying in terms of you know their hopes and dreams and what they want to get done because that's usually what it is and they try to inspire the country to get on board say here's what here's what i hope for us and here's where i hope to go and uh you know sometimes they're not very successful at it other times they are but it's just it's interesting to see so sure (laughs) do you think there'll be people tuning in well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just how, you know, I mean, it's, it's a guy giving a speech. It's a guy holding up his hand and swearing on a Bible. It's not, it's not exactly exciting television. Um, but you know, it's it, like you said, it's the transition of power in our country and it's something that we do every four or eight years. And I think it's, it's, it's an important thing, whether or not it's exciting TV. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of people who watch NASCAR because they're waiting for the wreck. So how many people do you think are going to be tuning in, waiting to see if something horrible happens? 
I, I don't think anything horrible will happen. I think Joe Biden. Yeah, I don't think so either. And you know, business will the business of government will continue. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I expect it to be a, a non-issue, but uh, but I wonder if there'll be people tuning in, waiting to see—is there going to be like you know, heated battles in the streets with with national guardsmen and and angry citizens? Um, I don't expect it. Say, hey, um, on a, on a different front, but uh, similar has to do with politics and 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 uh, in a different country. Uh, you're familiar with Jack Ma, the owner of Alibaba, or at least know who he is. I mean, not familiar. Yeah, I've never I, met him. I, he disappeared for a while. Is he back? Yeah, yeah. He made his first appearance in months, uh, just uh, yesterday or the day before, and apparently the Alibaba stock has surged because they're like, "Oh, okay, Jack's back." Um, uh, I think you know he. I mean, he didn't specifically address it, but that he was laying low because his companies have been under investigation by the Chinese government, um, and uh, and I suspect they, you know, th- th- those in power talked to him and said. Remember, you're a businessman. You're not running our country, and we want you to make sure you understand that. And, uh, you know, in China, when somebody from the government shows up at your front door and says, you're getting too much attention, that's usually not a, uh, a good sign for you. But um, he, uh, he showed up at a, uh, on, a, on a panel, on an online ceremony for a charity that he has organized for rural teachers. And, uh, and so he was there. Um, you know, just uh, thanking the teachers and and talking about some of the um, actions that they've taken in terms of trying to uh, help sponsor education, particularly in rural areas, to uh, to educate um, the Chinese. And again, it's it's making you know it's a charity making donations to help do it, but the, then obviously the schools are still run by the government. So this is just a way of him kind of giving back to uh, to uh, uh, the people of China. And uh, apparently he decided that was okay and a safe thing for him to come out and talk about. So that's what he did. So, uh, yeah, anyway, he's he has been seen again. He's not being held in a cell somewhere. Um, But uh, but there was a lot of speculation when he had kind of gone missing uh, or disappeared that uh, uh, things were going on. Like he had a, a show that was sort of like it was called Africa's Business Heroes. It's sort of like The Apprentice. As a show he created, and then he didn't show up for the final episode of that, and hadn't been then seen for several months, and people thought, well, that's a little weird, you know, was he sick or what's going on, or you know, or, or is he, is he, has he been shut up or disappeared, you know, and uh, you know, and it may have been he just decided with COVID going on that he didn't want to be out and about, and he was just kind of, kind of lay low, but he didn't didn't do anything to tell anybody what was going on, you know? So outside of his inner circle, nobody really knew. And so anyway, he's been seen again. So, <sighs> well, and if yeah. he had been disappeared, he certainly wouldn't be allowed to say so. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't talk about it at all. Um, um, and, uh, but you know, he's, he's, um, He's no dummy. He's 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 managed to work within the uh, constrictions of the Chinese system and become incredibly wealthy. And so, uh, uh, you know, he he and you don't do that without having relationships with the people who are in charge. So, you know, you maintain those relationships and you do what you're supposed to do so that you don't 
get investigated and found to be doing things that are not uh, in the interest of the people, right. so to speak. <laughs> so to speak, um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's happened in Russia where there were some oligarchs that were really incredibly wealthy. But, uh, you know, if they um, were found to have said anything or or maybe even just been a little too successful, um, they end up in a gulag or suddenly take ill. Um, yeah, Russia's really nasty. They just suddenly take ill and die. And you're like, what happened? Oh, he got sick. Uh-huh. <laughs> Seemed healthy. He got sick. It's true. <laughs> yeah. The man got... Oh, that's German. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to do an accent. Now he's like, that's not the right accent at all. Not even uh, close. Yeah. So. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, I mean, for for those who have investments in Alibaba, um, like I said, the, the stock made a really big bounce after he was seen to be, you know, there and obviously still doing okay. Um, hey, you know, we talked about sports ball a little bit earlier. Did you know that this Super Bowl is going to be the first one that has a female referee? Oh. Yeah. Cool. Sarah Thomas, uh, whom you can spot in NFL games because she's the person wearing the zebra stripes that has a ponytail. Um, you know, and other than that, quite honestly, you wouldn't know that, 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 that she was a she out there because she does a good job. She does her job and, you know, you. There's no reason to recognize that she's female or not female, and she does a good job. Um, but uh, congratulations to her. She'll be the first person of the female gender to um, be part of the seven-person crew for the Super Bowl on February 7th. Um, they, uh, The way it works is the NFL reviews games throughout the season and, and basically rank orders uh, the referees. As far as like after, you know, reviewing the game, was that a good call, a bad call, a good call, a missed call, that kind of thing. And uh, and they and they kind of score them and they give them feedback so they can get better at it. And uh, she's been an NFL referee since 2015 and was one of the top college uh, referees prior to that. So it's not like they're, you know, pushing her up front so that they can brag about having given a woman a spot. She's earned it. She's good at it and she deserves it. Awesome. And so more power to her. her. Yeah. Um, so, you know, look for the ponytail and, uh, you know, fathers of daughters point her out to your, to your daughters and say, look, uh, there's somebody doing something that, that a lot of people didn't think she could do. And she does it great. And she's one of the best at it. Not only is she good at it, she's, she's one of the best because only the best get to, get to actually officiate at the Super Bowl. And so, um, yeah, good for her. Hopefully she'll be officiating the win by the Green Bay Packers. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) So I want to talk about food. So Food Network magazine has a taste of 2021. What they say is read it and eat. Here are the food and drinks you'll be seeing everywhere this year. Apparently, big breakfasts are back. People have time to, to instead of like grabbing a granola <laughs> yeah, you're bar sitting at home, or a right? smoothie. Yeah, that you're makes at home. Sense. People, Krusty's and Kodiak Cakes have seen their business surge. Uh, uh, they're up 50%. And, and pancakes they've been declining for years. Pancakes. So big breakfasts are, and waffles, right? But pan, so that means big yes. breakfasts are back, but healthy breakfasts not necessarily. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, apparently, mochi is having a moment. Do you like mochi? Mm, yeah, it's okay. So you know, I, I, mochi, mochi donuts are popping up everywhere. Donuts, really? Mochi donuts. Yes, 
I've not never had uh, it as a donut. So um, mochi is a is a sticky rice flour. It's glutinous rice mm-hmm. flour. And, and usually, it's usually like chewy. a ball so, with ice cream in the middle, right? Yeah. Well, but yeah, but that's mochi ice cream. The mochi is the is is not the ice cream part. It's the pastry right. part. But right. it's not really a pastry because it's sticky. So it's right. Yeah. Um, that's why you freeze it with ice cream so you can pick it up and not get it all over your fingers. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so it's actually I like mochi. Tobin doesn't, uh-huh. and it doesn't have a strong flavor, but it adds an interesting texture. It does. To... It does. I like mochi ice cream, and I have I've had some in the you know I've had some strawberry and some like green tea mochi ice cream in, in, in the in the refrigerator. And ironically, when I've offered to people, most of them have turned it down. Um, but I like it. I like it. So yeah. um, so mochi mochi um, donuts are popping up everywhere. And um, people are taking pictures and putting them on Instagram. And there's um, places popping up all over the country that, that specialize in mochi donuts. So cool. um, the number three on the list is plant-based food. So, you know, people who are, you. maybe they're not. Maybe they're not going vegan, but they're they're trying to cut down how many animal products they eat because of whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now like dairy free cheese is a thing. Um, so and it's everywhere, and yeah. it's remark. According to this article, it's remarkably similar to the real stuff. Now, if you're a real mm-hmm. cheese aficionado, I don't know that you would agree with that statement, but yeah. um, uh. uh you know, people are saying no. It's pretty close. Yeah, the start. I'm not a fan of called... of fake cheeses, but then I don't. Oh, I mean, I like a good cheese by itself, or sometimes, but very often, like on a hamburger or something, I, I don't make. I don't get cheeseburger. I just do not have cheese on it. You know. Yep, like a high quality, really good cheese. I I actually really. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. If you, you know, have a slice of cheese and, and it's yeah, exactly. If it's a, and and there are some amazing flavors. Um. But yeah, just you know, a slab of American or or even cheddar on a burger but, but is like eh. American is not cheese. Right, it's pasteurized it's like, processed cheese food. So they yes, can't even it, legally call it cheese. It's a glob of fat, is what it is. Yes, <laughs> it's not particularly tasty fat at that. Right. So it's like yeah, I'll pass. So there's all kinds of different. Um, uh, you know, shreds and spreads and other things that are cheesy that are not that are not cheesy at all. Meaning they have no they have no dairy in them or any animal mm-hmm. product. So um, the next thing on the list is fizzy drinks, and specifically hard seltzers because you know sparkling water has been on the market and been growing for a while, um, but now the there's hard seltzers have moved into the market. Um, they are uh they are they're not they're not really they're different from a typical malt beverage like azima um Mm -hmm. they're distilled spirits like vodka and tequila cut with carbonated water yeah so yeah for them who likes it exactly i guess that's a thing yeah well i mean you can certainly tell by advertising that that's become a thing because it's advertised a lot but it's everywhere uh yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Um, and then sustainability is is so like um, there's a, there's a product as another trend pulp pantry pulp chips. So pulp pantry is the brand pulp chips. They take scrap from juiced celery and kale and they make chips out of them. So it's made from pressed vegetables and so that that mm-hmm. all of the vegetables are being eaten and are being used. 
um, so renewal mill freeze-dried fiber something like that um, upload uh, up renewal mill upcycled oat chocolate chip cookie mix so you can um, uh, you know it's made from the pulp of oat milk and so you can ha- I bet it's really good and then you know re- reveal avocado seed brew this tea like tea like drink is brewed with avocado pits re- rescued from local restaurants mm-hmm okay so well, I, I I did a um, a a, a, a uh, plant based meal yesterday. I um, uh, cooked some red beans and rice, and uh, the red beans I did the day before, and then I did a, a I, I cooked them in the in the instant pot, and then the next day I put them on as on used them in the instant pot again as a slow cooker, and just let them cook for an extra couple hours as a slow cooker. And then pulled that pot off, and I've got separate pots that I can drop into my instant pot, and then used another pot to make the rice, so that I had then the red beans and rice. And um, you know, in the evening, it was kind of a cool evening as the as the weather started to change a little bit, and that was just really yummy. And so we've got that to eat on for the next couple of days. Yum! It sounds yummy. Yeah, it sounds very yummy. Red beans have such a smooth texture when they're cooked, as opposed to uh, pinto beans have some grit to them, um, and and red beans are just just very creamy and so it was very yummy you if you like creamy beans you will love if you've not had them before cannellini beans they are Mm. sometimes just Mm -hmm. called a white bean they are so creamy Um, i've used them in my chili they are very very good i like them a lot Uh tobin is not is not wild about them i love them yeah, I'm used to kidney beans as a um, in my chili. That's what I grew up. My mom would use because ch- we we put beans in our chili. I know a lot of people don't in certain parts of the country, but we do. Just uh, Texas, and, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know. So, um, but I like to uh, put some cannellini beans in there too, just because it gives you a visual difference. Because the ki- kidney beans are red, the chili is red, everything's red. You know, putting some white beans in there just gives you something else to look at. Um, I suppose I could use black beans too, but I don't like black beans very much because they are very, they're much more gritty texture. Um, I love black beans. I, I actually I know a lot of people do. I don't think there's a bean that I don't like. I yeah. Like well, I mean, I, I don't beans. hate black beans. I just uh, you know, given other choices, I usually pick other beans. But uh, excuse me. Um, but yeah, the cannellini beans are very good. I don't find black beans and uh, pinto beans gritty. It's that's 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 interesting that you use that word. I wonder why they seem gritty to you. Yeah, and I, and I and gritty is probably not the right word. They're just not as as creamy a texture of their the meat of the bean is not as um, it is uh, a firmer soft bean. and yeah, not as soft and mushy as uh, as like a red bean. Um, you know, and it's not that that, that red beans are like they fall apart. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just different. You know, I mean, they're different beans are different, and so. You know, they are what they are. I am what I am. I am what I am. So, you know, I'm looking at all this stuff to to build this ultralight pack, and it's like, this is not outrageous, you know? For for uh, for about 800 bucks, you could have an eight-and-a-half-pound backpack that you could live out of. Crazy, right? Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed. The tent, by the way, that I looked at and said it looked like it's just a, a, a like a fly net. It actually does have a a. Uh, it comes with a, um, a rain fly that goes over that, and that's included in the weight. They just didn't have it in the picture that I had seen. So that it's a it's actually considered a three season tent. 
uh, and it you know weighs like 2.07 pounds. It's a one-person tent, and it's like wow, wow. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's, that's not much there. But so the the coverage as we listen to it as we're leaving the radio station, the coverage for the inauguration has already started um, on the networks, CNN and NBC mm-hmm. and ABC and all the rest of them. And so if you're interested in politics, get on there and, and watch it today. We are not far along. We're not far away. We're an hour and 20 minutes away from the inauguration of Joe Biden. And that is big yeah. news for today. It is. That is really the, the big news in this country for today. I mean, I don't know what else might happen. We never know what the future might hold. But right now, that's certainly the big thing to be looking out for. And uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to go listen, you know, uh, whether you agree with or disagree with or like or dislike the man. Um you know, he's going to be our president for the next four years, uh, assuming good health. And, uh, you know, we should hear what he has to say and get an idea and give him a chance. Give him a chance. You know, even if you didn't vote for him, uh, give him a chance. Let's try to set some of this just nasty political I hate you stuff aside, please. Indeed. For heaven's sake, please. Indeed. So um, anyway, we need to wrap it up so you can get on with your day. Uh, so thank you for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Erin Breaker. Have a great day, everybody. We will see you tomorrow.